Hi, good morning. Thank you guys. I, it has been a good morning. Uh, whether you were fighting your children this morning or not, it was good. Um, a few things before we dive in. This week we get to uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, live out uh, a little of what we cast uh, in January for the vision of this church. That would become a family of churches that are equipping and sending uh, new churches, uh, not just in L.A., but all over the world, that we wanted to be a church-planting hub as a church. Uh, This coming weekend, starting on Thursday, we're going to be hosting 22 leaders, men and women, pastors, church planters. Yeah, thank you. From all over uh, the western United States, there's a few East Coasters that kind of blended in, but that's okay. Uh, They're from New England. Anyway, uh, they're, they're going to be here to learn. Uh, there's going to be uh, sessions during the day where they're going to be learning about the gospel, the story of God, uh, who we are, how we live, uh, all hoping to, to kind of take that home into their own context and begin to live out uh, a life of making disciples who make disciples uh, as the church. Uh, so believe it or not, uh, we're, people actually want to learn from us. So that's pretty awesome and humbling, deeply humbling. There's a few ways that you can help out with that because a big portion of uh, the learning experience is actually that they're immersed uh, within the life of this church. So you'll see new random people hop, you know, showing up to meals that you thought you were just going to have with people in your missional community or those sorts of things. So one, just know that, that if there's people from... Utah or Arizona or South Dakota or other parts of California, they're, they're supposed to be there. It's okay. Uh, and welcome them and be open with them. Also, there's a few opportunities where you can come and just help us out. We could buy snacks, so it's not like a budget thing, but it's a really cool thing when the people of the church get to come and, uh, and share, share a meal. Uh, we're going to talk about hospitality a little bit this morning. So if you want to do that, there's a few ways uh, to help. Come talk to me if you want to help. Uh, in any way. Also, uh, on Saturday, all day, right here in this room, uh, you're all welcome to come to the training. Uh, it's going to be an a interactive, dialogical training on the gospel, our identity, uh, the commands of Jesus, and how we live. And so if you want to come and participate, you're totally welcome. Uh, RSVP on Facebook. If you've already deleted your Facebook account, as if you think that Mark Zuckerberg still can't come and find you, uh, <laughs> which I learned the other day that he can. Uh, anyway, uh, if, you, if you're not on Facebook, just tell me. Okay, Andrew, if you're coming. Awesome. Uh, so this is our last week in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 13. And in the first 12 chapters, hopefully, uh, we've all grown in our affections for Jesus. As we've seen that he is not just better, but the best. Uh, that he's uh, the best messenger, that he's so much better than angels or anyone else who's ever come before and said, hey, this is what God is like, this is what God will do, this is why he's like. Jesus was the better messenger. He came and was himself the message. Uh, Jesus is the better prophet we saw. Moses was awesome. He led people out of captivity, people that had been in generational slavery, building pyramids, all of that under Pharaoh's arm, uh, a persecuted people. And Moses led them out to freedom. Uh, Jesus leads all of humanity through his own life, death, and resurrection into lasting freedom, conquering the bondage of sin itself. Uh, Jesus is the better priest uh, we saw. 
that Jesus uh, stands between us and God and repairs what's broken within us and puts us before God as perfect, holy people, completely restored. We saw that Jesus is the better anchor. Not only is he someone that we can stake our lives on, but he himself holds us and is our hope. He doesn't come and, and we don't hope that he'll do something more that could be better, like uh, we might... Uh, you know, hope in the Dodgers to finally learn how to hit and those sorts of things. But like, but we've already know our hope is that he has done everything that's required. He's the better anchor. He's the better sacrifice. Uh, no longer do we come and hope that through the shedding of blood of some other thing or the, the own burdens that we might take on our life, that that could give us freedom and restoration and forgiveness. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice, offers complete Forgiveness. He's the better covenant we saw. Uh, he is the promise. He's the one that keeps the promise. He's the one that fulfills the promise. Uh, no longer is, are we in some sort of bargain with God. If, if we do what we're supposed to do, we can be his people. Jesus instead says, my body and my blood is the promise that I give you. That's the covenant. That's the deal. End of story. And then in chapter 12, we saw that the writer said, Jesus, if he's all of these things, he's worth stripping everything off that might hinder you from running the race. Uh, Like a cyclist, I've heard, might uh, get their bicycle as narrow and as light with as little resistance as possible so that they could charge as fast as they could on their bicycle. Uh, The apostle or the writer of this book is saying, Jesus is worth doing that. Letting go of every sin that might entangle or keep you down, he's worth chasing after. He's that valuable. And then in chapter 13, he says, not only all of that, but Jesus also offers to us the very best life you could live. The author says, uh, the way that you live, not just what you think about God or conceive of God, but the way that you live matters. That God is concerned with it. That he is pro your life from conception to death. How you live it, what you do, he cares about it. And he's in favor of a very deep, rich, meaningful life. A lasting one. And he wants to lead you into it. It's pretty awesome. This is what this chapter says. But not only that, that he wants it for you. I think the rub of this passage is that he demands it of you. This passage is filled with dozens of imperatives, of verbs with force and muscle. Uh, The the passage doesn't say, hey, if you want, here's a few good ideas, brainstorming session, let's care for the vulnerable and those in prison, Uh, let's do good and sacrifice. No, the author will say, this is what you do. This is what you must do. These are imperatives or commands, not suggestions. That your life, if all of this is true about Jesus must be marked by these actions. And so uh, let's dive in and, and read them, and then we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, so this is Hebrews chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. The writer says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Those are the commands. Uh, I, I put them up on a list, a little bullet-pointed list, and just so we can talk through them briefly, just so you can kind of grasp what they are. This, this good life, after all. He says, let brotherly love continue. Uh, in other words, that uh, you would love the other people in the church and all of the church, as if they were your brothers or your sisters, that you're willing to get on a plane to go care for, that you will drop everything to, to provide for their people that you're obligated to. He says, let brotherly love continue. He says, do not neglect hospitality. In other words, open your lives to strangers. The people that don't make your uh, instant list of people to invite over to have fun with. Uh, he says, invite even the strangers, the people that you've never encountered. Be a person that's welcoming and open your lives to them. That does also, like I believe, includes uh, making homes for people, which is pretty exciting. He says, remember those who are in prison and mistreated because we are one body. He says that the people that are in captivity, and he doesn't make any uh, claim about whether they should be there or they shouldn't be there, if it's just or unjust or whatever the legal system is, he just says, remember as if you're in it with them. And all those that have been mistreated, remember and be with them. Why? Because you're one body. Uh, and there's a lot to say here. But what that means is that uh, if, if our toe is bruised, then it affects all of us. I think far too often, at least in America, we think, well, we're just our own church, and if something affects people way over there, uh, I hope they can deal with it. But what this passage is saying is, any wound that happens to any church or any believer is a wound to us. And so we remember and we speak up and we fight for that. In verse 4, he says, honor marriage. That, that we would conceive of the, this covenant between man and woman as, as uh, an exclusive deal. 
uh, that, that you can't pretend to be married or, or pretend to use the privileges of a marriage that don't uh, exist to you because you've not committed to marriage. He says in verse, uh, the, the fifth one here is uh, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And, and he links them together in a really clever way because often we think, oh, if I have a lot of money, then I need to be worried about loving money. But really, uh, whether you have a lot or a little is not the concern. It's about how we approach our money, how we approach the things that others have. Because I've known many people, myself included, who had very little money in their account, but was ravenous for the things of other people, wishing I had it. I've also known people and experienced in my own life having tons of resources and still longing to have more. And he's speaking to this thirst and this affection for things. You can't be a materialist in the kingdom of God, or at least a materialism Kind of, I guess you could be a scientist. Um, he says, remember your leaders. Uh, here, it's actually a strange word. We don't have time to get into it. This is the only time this word for leaders is ever used. It's used to describe generals and other uh, ancient Greek tes- texts. But really, the implication here and the, the, the tenses of the language is these are people that started the church, who founded the church, who spoke the message of the gospel when the church was first formed. And he's saying, remember the fathers, the mothers who laid the foundation for this church. Remember their lives. Remember the saints that have gone before us. Remember those who have tried and true scars and wrinkles from praying day in, day out, and follow their lives. We're, we, it's, that's not like an idea like, oh man, that'd be awesome to like do that sometime. He's saying, this is what it means to live the good life. He says, don't follow strange doctrines. And this is probably the weirdest couple verses in here. But essentially, people were being persuaded to add to the message and to to say, well, we could be more powerful or more deep or more fruitful in our spirituality if we consumed these other foods. Maybe we could do both religions. And they both seemed uh, pretty similar. I think the implication for us is that we can't seek self-improvement apart from Christ. We can't follow gurus who come to us and say, hey, here's some like Christianese, but also apply these other things, and you can be so powerful. How amazing it is that we are lured into thinking that we could add to the salvation and the healing that we've already experienced. And then he says that we should suffer like Jesus. Jesus is removed and he dies outside the city. We should also expect and even do as a command suffering and exclusion. We should experience that. And we should also look ahead to the coming city, not this city. Meaning we put our hope in the kingdom of God coming into Los Angeles, not in the city of Los Angeles to be our hope. Verse 10, he said, or the 10th one, sorry. Uh, Worship with our mouths. We speak the truths of what God is like. We say it out loud. We hate to worship anything other than ourselves or to find and seek compliments for something that's not ours. But he's saying what, the way we live is to compliment and speak the truth about what Jesus has already done. Not as a tip, but as a command. He says, do good and sacrifice. He also says to submit to the leaders of the church. That, that the people who are leading and caring for the church, this one's more of their circumstance in the moment, that we're supposed to consider what they say, not be rogue, renegade uh, agents. 
Will they have, what right do they have to speak to my life or for me to follow them? And I think that this applies to everyone, whether it's you showing up to help set up what happens here and you think, well, you know, Josh Haynes doesn't really know what he's talking about. I can do whatever I want. Uh, or the same with Jeff. Yeah, Jeff oversees children and discipleship and stuff, but I'm going to give them all candy. It applies everything from there to everything above, to every missional community, everybody who's organizing and caring for this church. You follow them. Every elder and the conversations you have with them, the implication is that you submit the same way Jesus submitted to the Father. And the same way every Christian submits to one another. And then the last one is actually the exclusive one just for leaders that we would lead with joy. Uh, That we would have a deep contentment and satisfaction in what Jesus has already done. Not leading from pride or selfishness uh, or hoping that by leading this church or leading our missional community, we could somehow attain uh, something more, something deeper. And so those are, those are the commands. These are the uh, imperatives, if you want to be dorky like me. Uh, one thing that I observe about this, just a few things, is that they're all communal. This is a communal list, not an individual list. Uh, that, that the only way to obey these commands is actually to be within the church, and that it's the church's responsibility to obey them. Uh, see, I think a lot of times what we think is, well, this person isn't uh, considering uh, those in prison, but I am, so we're all good. I think the other implication is, well, I honor my marriage, so if nobody else honors the idea of marriage, then that's fine. It also, the implication is, even if you're single and not married, this is a command for you to keep. That we all keep them collectively. That we all suffer like Jesus collectively. That we hope in the future. And I think that this is actually a pretty phenomenal reality. Uh, because I've been in many communities where all of a sudden someone comes in and they begin talking about this latest uh, gadget or gizmo or leather good or diet or whatever it is that's so awesome and so amazing. Uh, and at first they were like, man, this person's just like putting a lot of hope into this latest thing. And they're like, gel- they're like, want it really badly. It doesn't take long before everyone in the community really desperately wants that thing. It's amazing because we're evangelists for what we hope in. And we're all thrilled to hope and believe in something else. So we keep this command and this list of commands, and we break them together, not exclusively, not as individuals. The other thing that I think that's fascinating is that this is the good life. That this is the description of what is good and meaningful for life. That it's loving one another as brothers and sisters. That it's hospitality. That it's caring for the mistreated. That it's keeping covenant. That it's uh, being content with the things that we've been given. That's suffering, that it's uh, speaking the truth and not following false things, that it's walking in line with the the fathers and and mothers of our faith. I think what's amazing is because it's basically a description of the practical life of Jesus. Like, what did Jesus live like? What was he doing? He was doing these things. This was the life that he lived. And, and then he says, we must do the same. If Jesus is the better priest, the better anchor, all of these things, then we, we do the same. 
And so how does that actually make you feel? I think we even have time for this, which is pretty exciting. Uh, How does the good life compare to what the good life is that we often envision? Let's do some compare and contrast. You guys can share. Yeah. Yeah, there's consumption. Yeah, we think that if we consume more, we'll be more satisfied. Not if we sacrifice, we'll have the good life. Yeah, most is even geared around that. Yeah, Josh. No, like for me, uh, my list of the good life did not include suffering. <laughs> right. Yeah. Why would it? Yeah. Why would why would the good life have suffering as a as a command? Yeah, Michael. I think one thing that I notice is that nothing about this good life, your circumstances don't change. Like this is possible today. Mm-hmm. Like what we think of the good life is something that we have to attain or strive for to make. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this good life is attainable now without any change of circumstance. We can just run for it. Yeah? Um, maybe a good life is satisfying our own desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think the good life is satisfying whatever it is that we desire. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jessica? I just think, um, sorry, it's interesting that like this goes against my idols. It's mm-hmm. very telling of what my idols are when I look through the list. Yeah. Of like what I hold dear or what mm-hmm. like I want to um, you know, worship. Yeah, it, you can't do this and worship the things that, you're, that you want to worship. Yeah, and there's, there's even this part of, there's, there's things on this list that you might get super excited about and even you know, want to show up to protests for, to fight for. But then there's other things that make you angry. Those are probably the things that you love the most and that you think will bring hope and satisfaction, right? Yeah. I think often, too, we come to this place after seeing these commands and these lists and it feels like a bait and switch, right? Like, well, the first 12 chapters are about how awesome Jesus is. And then at the very last minute, he throws in a list of like 17 imperatives. Just sort of like boom, 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 boom. Like the people that format the Bible don't even know how to do it. It's like you know, these each sentence, its own paragraph. Like what are we supposed to do? And then you might think, well, is Jesus after all of this, all these previous chapters about how great he is, he's the best this, he's the best that. At the end we find out he's the best rule giver. Is that what it is? It sound, we might even buckle and say, this sounds like legalism. Like, man, this is not grace. This is not the gospel. Like, this is a bunch of stuff that we're supposed to do. Isn't following Jesus just about, he did all the stuff, and now we don't have to do anything. Why would you do this? The, the reality of, uh, of Christian thought and belief for thousands of years from Jesus onward is that theology what we believe about god is actually lived (laughs) it's all right (laughs) 
Uh, she's about to fly somewhere exotic. <laughs> and as she flies somewhere exotic, what she believes about God will matter. Uh, theology is lived. We live what we believe about God every time we go to the grocery store, every time we step into a voting booth, every time uh, we sit down in our living room, every time we hold our phone, every time we sit in our cubicles, or every time that we are commuting on the way home. The, the, the faith of Christianity is saying what you believe gets played out in all of those areas. For example, you can't believe that God is the anchor of your soul while simultaneously loving money and thinking that if you had more of it, or if you had what they had, or if you had this new thing that came out, you would have more things to hope in and be more stable. You can't do both. You can't believe that Jesus rescued you through his own sacrifice and simultaneously refuse to sacrifice for other people. You can't believe Jesus is the best covenant and then refuse to honor the promises that you make, above all, the promises you make to a husband or to a wife. You can't can't abandon the people that Jesus saved if you believe that Jesus put it all out there and died a death for you and for me. You can't then not love your brothers and sisters. You can't believe Jesus is the best priest while simultaneously seeking uh, the latest guru to help you find a deeper solution to your problems. See, the the congruency of that does make sense, I think. Uh, Tim Keller writes that that because you are loved, you obey. Often we're raised thinking that, oh, if I obey, then I get love. But the gospel is you are loved, deeply loved. That's what all of Hebrews is about. And then we obey on the other side. But I think that's definitely a true reason that we live what we believe, and we have to examine our beliefs. So when we're living a chaotic life, running around trying to get more things, we might wonder, well, maybe I don't believe Jesus is the anchor. But I think there's even a a, a deeper reason there that we don't understand about why we do these commands, and it's because it's who you are. It's like who you really are. It's your true identity. It's your true way of life. The best life is the life you were intended to live. Uh, All these expectations we have that we just shared about what the good life is like and why it doesn't seem right because of the commands that Jesus puts forward, the reason we're confused by that is because we've uh, been indoctrinated through sin to believe that the good life is about consuming for ourselves the things that we want and being our own Lord and Master. But who you really are, who you really truly are, is different. You're marked and transformed by his presence. He says uh, in verse 5, the last part of it, he says, Remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What command do to me? In verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, your life is now transformed and marked by the presence of God and his own character. Why do you do all this sacrificing, this standing up for those that are mistreated, this keeping of covenant, this refraining from sexual immorality? Why do you put aside lusting after money? Why do you do that? Because it's his life and presence in you. 
See, often we might think, well, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, so wherever I go in life, whatever I want to endure or do or achieve, Jesus is like my homeboy that walks with me. Like, he's, he's my golden ticket in my wallet. Uh, he's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I have a, uh, I used to travel a lot, like, internationally and stuff, and so I got one of these cool, like, passport cards that you can put in your wallet, so if you're ever, you know, abandoned in a foreign country and someone steals your passport, you can, like, pull it out and prove, like, who you are, um, regardless of if you, you know, like, left your passport on the seat of a plane or things like that. But that was mostly what I was afraid of. But what... What this text is actually saying is that whenever we're reminded that he will never leave us or forsake us, it's not so much that Jesus comes with us wherever we go, but we go wherever Jesus is already going and already moving. And that he is the same. The things that he cares about, the things that he's convicted about, the life that he wants to live is the same it was when he was alive. It was the same today. It'll be the same tomorrow. And for every day after that, he and his desires for a human life have not changed since he lived the perfect one. And he was just as willing and desiring to die and rise again for you today as he was that one week, 2,000 years ago in a, in a springtime. He's just as desiring to do this. And see, I think one thing that we have to surrender when we see these lists of commands, especially when they come after all this rich uh, theology about who Jesus actually is, is we don't have a choice. I think that's, we, we still, after seeing all of these character, characteristics and attributes of Jesus, we still think, well, I have a choice on how I should live. It's mine to bear. We as a church can do what we please. But you don't have a choice. This life is the life you've been given. It's where he's going. Your life has now been raised to be with him. And he'll never leave you. But this is the work that he did. And this is the work he's going to do. Now, we still might look at this list and say, is that even possible? Like, how could I do that, even if I wanted to? In verse 20, he says this, and it's a prayer. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, this is it. The God who rose Jesus from the dead is working within you. It's, uh, if we're not shocked by that, we should be. That the, that the God who created the universe, who, who creates lasting peace, who, who was Jesus, who died, who rose again, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work within you. It also says that the great shepherd of the sheep... Here, he, he changes uh, throughout all the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is just referred to as the good shepherd or my shepherd. Here, in classic Hebrew fashion, he's the great shepherd, the best shepherd. The shepherds are people who care and, and nurture uh, sheep, uh, kind of silly, dumb animals. 
who run away and, and don't know where to eat and don't know where to drink unless someone guides them there. And he says, not only is the power that rose Jesus from the dead working within you, but also you have this great shepherd who literally walks and carries you towards the things that provide lasting hope. And I think often when we hear uh, Psalm 23 about how uh, God uh, is our good shepherd who leads us to green fields and clear flowing waters, we imagine that he's going to lead us to like the good stuff that we were just describing, the things that we get to consume. But what if the great shepherd is actually leading you to suffer and actually leads you and leads all of us to remember those in prison and those who are mistreated, to be hospitable, to open our homes when we never want to? What if the great shepherd leads us there? But he is the shepherd that cares for you and guides you and nourishes you and leads you to what is good. How will you do it? The shepherd will do it. And then he also says that, that we're, we do this life because of the blood of the eternal covenant. That, that the promise that was made, that we've already talked about, the, this covenant that, that Jesus comes and he says, I will keep the covenant, I'll do the work, and I'll do the promising, and I'll do the fulfilling. That, that the grand bargain is that I will put my own heart within you. That, that through my own death and through my own resurrection, you're raised not to be who you once were, but raised to be a new human with a new heart beating that I've put in there. That, that uh, as he quotes in the, earlier in, in Hebrews from Jeremiah, that God will put his mind in us. He will write his rules and his commands on our hearts so that we will know them and so that we will do them. And see, all of that, is for verse 21, that we would be equipped with everything good and that we may do His will. See, all of this is that, that He trains us to do everything that is good. See, it's, it's not that uh, doing works is uh, just absent from Christianity. It's that the work that we do, the, any suffering that we get to do, any sacrificing, any standing up for justice, any endurance in marriage is the work of God, not of us. He's powerfully equipping and training our hearts to do this and to do everything that is good. And also that we would do His will that would bring everything pleasing to His sight. Jesus does the training, He does the work, and He also does the will. I think sometimes we wonder and we hope for a a spontaneous flash of motivation on, this is what God wants me to do with my life, you know? And I think what this passage and all the rest in the the Bible, I'm that confident. I just said all the rest passages. Uh, The command is to live each day. What is God's will for your life? To, to receive the power and the motivation to do His will each day. He is concerned about which house you buy and which career you take and those things. But often we miss the very minute things of, today will I be hospitable. Today will I keep my covenants. Today will I follow my leaders. Today will I remember the old saints. Jesus does all 
the work and all the motivation. And then the final question that I cannot answer is this. Will we uh, resist that power and that working and that equipping? And there are lots of ways we could do that together. We could resist uh, by just saying, I've gone as far as I want to go in this Christian exploration. Like, this is as far as we want to go. Let's, uh, you know, let's just strap in and keep doing what we've done. Or will we strip off every sin that entangles so that we can run for Jesus? There's ways that we can resist his power working within us. But I want us to remember as, uh, as we pray and take communion that this is a communal call. That we would obey these things. That we would submit to the power of God working within us. That we would explore and ask the questions together. Man, we, we don't seem to care very much about marriage. I wondered what it is that we believe instead. That Jesus is the best covenant. Man, we seem to be ravenous for money as a church. As a community. I wonder if it's because we don't believe that he's the best priest, the best anchor, the best messenger, all of these things. At the very end of Hebrews, he says, bear with this word, this message I've given you, because it was short. Uh, I love that, uh, because I've never written or done anything that's short. Uh, But I love that it's a letter that ends with, you need to keep coming back to this. It doesn't leave us, the book of Hebrews, as, well, now we've graduated from realizing who Jesus really is. Now we've got all of our affections tied up into a bow, and we can just follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. Instead, the book says, you're going to have to come back to this and carry it with you over and over again. Uh, And so as we come and take communion, I hope that this is the first of many times that we remember and come back to it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your life. Uh, I thank you that your life is working powerfully within us. Thank you, Jesus, for doing all uh, the motivating. That your spirit that rose, uh, rose Jesus from the dead is raising us from the dead. Thank you for this good life. It's humbling. It's challenging. Teach us to, teach us to die to ourselves and follow you. Amen.